even some of the customer service people were unnecessarily rude and disrespectful. Why this American actor filming in B.C. is calling out Air Canada after her kids were barred from boarding their flight at YVR. Plus... We did see an average speed for callers to reach a 911 call taker of about a minute and a half. The growing wait times for 911 and who the agency responding to those calls is blaming and... By the time people get the information, parents get the information, children are getting sick. Notification delay. Why parents say BC's school COVID-19 exposure system isn't working. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. An alleged gang member has been charged after a dramatic takedown at a Vancouver condo tower. And Global News has learned the accused is the same suspect involved in a fatal crash this past summer. Give us a room. 29-year-old Syed Moshfagizadeh was let out the Telus Garden condo tower in handcuffs, along with another man, three hours after armed officers entered the building Friday afternoon. The VPD gang crime unit responded to a report of someone being threatened at the building on Richard Street. Zadeh has since been charged with one count of uttering threats in relation to an alleged incident on September 29th. Zadeh was also the driver arrested on July 6th at the scene of a deadly crash in downtown Vancouver. Police say a black Ford Escape collided with a black McLaren at the intersection of Smythe and Hornby. One vehicle mounted the sidewalk, striking a father and his 23-month-old daughter, Ocean, who died instantly. No charges have been laid in the July collision. Zadeh is set to appear in Vancouver Provincial Court on Tuesday in connection with Friday's arrest. A Hollywood actor is calling out Air Canada for an explanation after her two teenage sons were not allowed to board a flight from YVR to LAX nearly a week ago. An upset Holly Robinson Pete taking to social media to call out the airline for what happened to her children. Grace Key has the details, including what Air Canada has to say. Hey everybody, it's Holly. I am out here in beautiful British Columbia. Actor Holly Robinson-Pete is in BC filming a Hallmark movie. She took to social media after her 19 and 16-year-old sons were not allowed to board their Air Canada flight on Monday from Vancouver back to Los Angeles. They were unable to produce their parents' credit card that paid for the ticket. I was very, very upset, very disappointed. Did not like the way they were treated, especially by that ticket agent. Um, and then even some of the customer service people were unnecessarily rude and disrespectful. There have been suggestions of racial profiling, and Pete says this has never happened to her in her 35 years of travel. Air Canada says sometimes verification is needed for unusual bookings, such as foreign purchases made outside Canada for last-minute travel, and these are identified by our automated anti-fraud systems. In this instance, our fraud prevention team, which is not located at the airport and therefore operates impartially, had a concern. Travel expert Claire Newell says credit card fraud costs airlines millions of dollars every year. And what happened to the Pete's isn't an everyday occurrence. Kind of like your credit card. If you purchase something that is not normal, it may flag it it one time and it may not another. And the system flagged it this time. Quite often it's within uh, a 48 or 24 hour period that the tickets would have been bought and it typically is for business class and they of course not in the, the passenger's name. 
the credit card being used. Newell says she has her children purchase plane tickets on their own credit cards when they return home from school for this exact reason. She also suggests contacting the airlines ahead of time to explain the situation. But Pete says she also doesn't like the way things were handled. One of the things that really bothered me was when the boys were trying to talk to the ticket agent. Um, We were on the phone and I kept saying, um, I want to talk to him and he would not talk to me. He would not talk to the parent. That is not cool. Pete's children missed their flight and had to stay in a hotel. She booked a flight for them the next day without any incident. Air Canada says it's following up with the customer. Grace Key, Global News. The province returned to school COVID-19 exposure notifications this year after much pressure from parents and educators, as well as the rapid spread of the Delta variant. But some parents are speaking out, saying those notices are often too little, too late. Kamal Kermali reports. Fairview Elementary in Maple Ridge. It's the site of a COVID-19 spread that swept through a couple of student clusters over the past few weeks. How did their families say they found out about it? Not through the school, but through other parents. I couldn't believe it that I was hearing it from the mom. Um, kind of in shock at that point. Nicole Nedick pulled both her kids from class and chose to quarantine in late September after another parent warned her about at least one positive case in their classroom. She said the school eventually notified parents five days later. We're definitely not being told in a timely manner. And if I wasn't in communication with the mom, I would have never have found out what was going on. The Safe Schools Coalition said it's a problem they're seeing across the province. It does not work at all. By the time people get the information, parents get the information, children are getting sick. School districts have to run cases up the chain to their local health authority for recommendations on how to respond. But by the time they hear back, it could be days or more than a week before parents are notified of positive cases. That's led to calls to bypass that whole process. If the principal knows from a parent that a child is COVID positive, his or her duty should be to inform the school community, including his staff and his teachers, immediately. For this case at Fairview Elementary, the local school district argues going to Fraser Health for guidance before informing parents is necessary. Not all positive cases result in school exposures, and only public health experts can determine, based on their investigation, when an exposure has occurred. But parents say many of them can make an educated guess on whether there's been an exposure in their classroom. Parents are just very frustrated because we are literally only in our lives right now. It's just important that our kids are safe. For now, Victoria Emmett and her daughter have tried to find a better way for parents to communicate with each other, creating a Facebook page to share information on positive cases at Fairview Elementary. Parents are scared. Parents are scared for their kids. They just want their kids to be safe and they want to know as soon as possible. With little trust left in the current system in place. Kamal Karamali, Global News. While a long weekend is normally a time to slow down, 911 dispatchers were run off their feet overnight trying to keep up with the volume of calls. It's a message that's becoming all too common in the area served by ECOM, the agency that responds to 911 calls. The agency tweeting at 3 this morning saying callers were experiencing consistent wait times on emergency lines. The agency laying blame for the delays at the feet of the provincial ambulance service. 911 lines didn't get back to normal for more than an hour. 
we did see an average speed for callers to reach a 911 call taker of up about a minute and a half. Um, but we do know that there were some callers who waited quite a bit longer than that to reach that initial 911 call taker. The impact to public safety with these delays is not lost on us at all. We are in consistent and regular conversations with the East the EHS's leadership team, and we're doing whatever we can to support their team in developing solutions to these delays. The agency that runs the ambulance service hopes to have a solution to 911 delays in place by the end of the year. BC Emergency Health Services says, quote, it has taken immediate actions to mitigate the situation, including increasing staffing levels on the floor to assist with call taking. Our dispatchers and emergency medical call takers are working hard during challenging periods and through the peak volumes to respond to people's needs. Downtown Vancouver business owners have been vocal about the growing concerns surrounding theft, violence and vandalism this past year and a half. But it's not just a big city problem. A Langley business owner is speaking out this weekend as she witnesses her community also struggling to cope with homelessness, addiction and mental health challenges. Paul Johnson has more. Who doesn't love a walkable city neighborhood? A tightly packed cluster of independently owned restaurants and shops is what every urban planner says makes people most happy. And all those reasons drew in Melissa Parks when she needed to move her apparel store. I thought it was a great location. It had reasonable rent and um, it seemed like it had good exposure. That was only a few months ago, but by midsummer, something changed. It seemed like there was way more homeless in the area. There was lots of theft happening. We would try putting racks outside. Half the clothes would get stolen off the rack. Open use of hard drugs, crime and homelessness wasn't something Parks expected she'd have to confront in Langley City. But the problems often associated with Vancouver's downtown east side for years now have been spreading south and east with trouble spots erupting in Surrey, Maple Ridge and even in Chilliwack. And if you take an even bigger view, cities across North America are struggling to cope with unprecedented spikes of mental illness and addiction. Imagine being a small proprietor facing that trend. I've had to put my door to being locked and have people ring the doorbell and I either buzz them in or I come right to the door. Langley Mayor Val Vandenbroek told Global News Sunday she's aware of the problems and the city will be working with the province and RCMP to address them. As for Parks, it's possible she moved in just as the pandemic lockdowns were ending and had actually suppressed some of the crime. She may be moving again. I'll have to convert more of my business to online or find a new spot. In Langley, Paul Johnson, Global News. A treacherous day for some traveling to and from the interior this holiday weekend after heavy snow ended up falling over many parts of the Coquihalla Highway today. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell with more on that. So Yvonne, what areas were hardest hit? Uh, this following area, Helmer Lake, and this is from Merritt to Kamloops, right along the Coquihalla. This was earlier today. A great shot that was taken. We got this one from Twitter, so thank you so much. And we saw upwards of 15 centimeters across this region. At one point, there was 8 centimeters in an hour recorded. So this is one of the hardest hit areas just along the Coquihalla. And a few other spots today, earlier today, along the Rogers Pass, we can see some of that snowfall on the side of the 
the road and this is what the connector looked like and we can see that from one of the, the cameras from Drive BC. Now, the, still the area of concern through this evening with the additional five centimeters. That'll be from Merritt all the way in towards Kamloops if you're heading from Hope to Merritt and along the connector though still the potential, especially near the summit where we could see up to five centimeters. Great news, however, an improvement is on the way. We will start to see a clearing if you're traveling for Thanksgiving tomorrow, but we are still actually tracking some instability this evening. We've got the risk of thunderstorms. I've spotted some lightning along the island and I'll have that coming up very shortly. Neithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. And after the break, the impact on Vancouver binners after they were bumped by a film shoot. Plus. And I'm glad they caught him and, and I'm glad he's been punished. The steps the city of Nanaimo is taking to prevent graffiti after suing a prolific vandal. And later. I need to go get vaccinated because I don't want to get in the same position as, as her. One's vaccine-hesitant relatives of a Montreal ICU patient are now urging others to get immunized. Like many other B.C. communities, Nanaimo is fed up with the costs of graffiti vandalism. So as Kristen Robinson reports, the central Vancouver Island city launched legal action against a prolific tagger, forcing him to pay up. The reign of chaos may soon be over. The prolific graffiti vandal who made his mark on Nanaimo with more than 45 tags since April 2020 is now leaving his signature on legal documents after the city took him to court. Glad that the city went after him. He certainly wasn't very popular uh, amongst our citizens for doing what he did. 20-year-old Kai Cleave was facing two counts of mischief for defacing public and private property. But when the criminal charges were dropped, Nanaimo decided to sue the tagger. The civil action resulted in an order requiring Cleve to pay $10,000 in fines and more than 5000 in damages to the city. I certainly hope it sends a message to anyone else who wants to engage in this kind of stupid public behaviour that is costly, that ruins the image of the city uh, and is a flagrant slap in the face of people who work hard every day. Cleve must remove all his chaos tags and not possess spray paint for two years. He must also attend counselling or therapy, complete a 1,000-word essay on why graffiti vandalism is legally and morally wrong, and issue a written apology to the mayor, council, and citizens of Nanaimo. What I really like with the Nanaimo approach is that there's an educational component in there as well. Vancouver councillor Pete Fry says the city is contemplating fines and restorative justice, but also considering sanctioned sites for taggers, like Toronto's Graffiti Alley, where once illegal tags are now appreciated by tourists and locals. It's not really a victimless crime. It costs a lot of money, and especially during this pandemic where we have a lot of small businesses that are really struggling to get by, this is an added burden that they just really don't need. When people get away with this, it encourages others to do so. Nobody likes it. Hi, Hello. is Kai home? No, he's not here. Cleve's family declined to comment, but shared that he recently lost his father. Any tagging breach of chaos's order will add a $10,000 penalty. He'll pay a substantial fine if he's ever caught doing it again. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Less than half the amount of deposits were handed out to binners taking part in this year's Coffee Cup Revolution in downtown Vancouver. Binners headed to Oppenheimer Park on Thursday deposited a total of 44,400 used coffee cups, earning a total of $4,440. That's less than 50% of what was expected based on previous years and the lowest amount since 2015. 
Organizers with the Binners Project say there were a few factors at play from the pandemic and being bumped from their usual spot at Victory Square for a Netflix production starring Jennifer Lopez. We were already kind of going into it, fighting a bit of an uphill battle with having to cancel last year due to COVID. And, and there's that kind of ongoing word of mouth that happens with yearly things. Um, so we we had a, definitely saw that as being a challenge. And then uh, obviously the, the, the additional big challenge was the last minute change of location um, that that really not only did we have to kind of uh, find a new place, it, it meant that we had to pause and then redo some of the communication we'd already done with the community to try and get the word out. The event is set to return to Victory Square next year. Miles says they're still in talks with the Vancouver Park Board and film company over compensating them for their extra costs incurred. He adds Great Lake Films did send over a coffee truck to the event for free coffee for everyone and so that binners could also redeem those cups. Also ahead, protesters in Vancouver plead to the public. Please uh, support uh, NGOs, which especially they have you know, branches here in Canada. And the Women Against Taliban Coalition's calls to the Canadian government. Plus... We were just very happy and working um, hard to send money to his mom in India. A Nova Scotia man's murder sparks concerns among other six in the community fearing hate crimes. A protest was held at the Vancouver Art Gallery this afternoon over the dire situation facing people in Afghanistan now under Taliban rule. Right now, millions of women are in complete insecurity. Women from Afghanistan and Iran have joined forces to form a coalition called Women Against Taliban. Since the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, the concern over the fate of those who worked with Western forces and women and girls have only grown. Demonstrators called on the Canadian government to support the Afghan people. The women are traumatized by Taliban in the past and they are afraid if they're going to face similar things this time as far as we know. Uh, just now, when girls, you know, after they finish grade five, they cannot continue their education. And the segregation between male and female is happening right now. The murder of a young man in Nova Scotia is sending waves of fear through an entire community. The killing happened in the town of Truro. Police have provided few details about what motivated it, leaving several other six to fear the worst. Ross Lord has more. Friends say Prabjot Singh Katri was excited to be in Truro, Nova Scotia, working two jobs. He was just very happy and working um, hard to send money to his mom in India so she can have a comfortable life. Which makes what happened to Prabjot Singh all the more shocking. In the early morning hours of September 5th, as he left his friend's apartment, he was attacked. Somebody stabbed him and he ran upstairs. He had enough energy to run upstairs, but then he fell and he died inside the apartment. Friends say he wasn't robbed. There was no obvious motive, leading many six to wonder if his killing was a hate crime. Data shows more six have moved to Canadian towns in addition to big cities. Leaders in the Sikh community say newcomers are sometimes vulnerable to hostility and violence. There's a lot of suspicion that 
What drove this murder was intolerance and racism. In a statement, the High Commission of India said, we urge the Canadian government to ensure the safety of all Indian nationals, especially the Indian students in Canada, from racially motivated crimes. The High Commission advised all Indian citizens in Canada, particularly students, to exercise caution. More than a month after the murder, no one has been charged, although officials in Truro promised to pursue every lead. The public was concerned about a hate and that, you know, and again, there's no indication at this point that that's, that is the situation, but those are being followed through. Until they get answers from police, six in Nova Scotia are living in fear, especially young men, some of whom have told us they're afraid to appear on camera. They don't know what to make of, of this murder, whether they're safe. Uh, many of them are, are afraid to go out. Donors to an online fundraiser helped his sister collect almost $100,000 to have Prabhjot's body flown back to India for cremation. Ross Lord, Global News, Truro, Nova Scotia. A young unvaccinated woman with COVID-19 is fighting for her life in a Montreal hospital. As Global's Olivia O'Malley reports, her dire situation has pushed some of her friends and family who were also vaccine hesitant to finally get immunized. Melody Trepanier-Leger's family wishes she got vaccinated. The 21-year-old is in a medically-induced coma after testing positive for COVID-19. Her mother says every day she waits by the phone for the worst possible news. Aucune famille ne mérite de vivre ça. C'est, c'est un cauchemar. C'est un vrai film d'horreur. Trepanier-Leger developed symptoms on September 17th. One week later, the unvaccinated young woman was admitted to hospital. She didn't believe it. She thought it was just a, a cold. She thought um, it was a little cold. She was like, she didn't want to believe it at all. This is the thing that made me realized that COVID-19 was serious. Her friends share similar views on the vaccine, but seeing how fast Trepanier-Leger's health has deteriorated, they're all scheduled to get their first dose in the coming days. It's not nice to see someone you love uh, in that position. I need to go get vaccinated because I don't want to get in the same position as as her. When it comes to encouraging people who are vaccine hesitant to receive the jab, one behavioral epidemiologist has some suggestions. So the first thing is is to not be judgmental and and take the emotion out of it. The other key thing is is to really just ask open questions. He says it's important to not force your own agenda and realizing that it may take more than one conversation. You want to just create open dialogue, you want to break down the resistance and that that's a win doesn't necessarily shift them at that point in time, but you're building bridges that maybe later on they might be more receptive. Trepanier Leger's mother has created the hashtag Vaccine pour Melo to encourage others to get vaccinated. She says she is shocked at how the virus has taken her first child, who was in perfect health. Trepanier Leger's friends and family hope she wakes up in time for her 22nd birthday this month. Olivia O'Malley, Global News, Montreal. IKEA is known for its modern Swedish designs, but one of the items in their latest collection has a distinctly Canadian feel. Today, the company unveiled its Segoscat toy collection. The plush toy line has five designs selected out of more than 66,000 entries globally. Ten-year-old Audrey Rogalski from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, is the artist behind one of the winning designs. This morning, she and her family were at the Edmonton IKEA to witness the big release.
It just makes me feel so good to know something that like I came up with and I designed um, that some little kid's going to take it home and it's going to make them very happy. Audrey says she wanted her design to represent friendship and was inspired by peanut butter and jelly because it's her all-time favorite food. Oh, congratulations to her. Still ahead, the benefits of a complete social media shutoff. It's hard as an individual to keep those boundaries in place when you have an entire industry that is working against that. A look at just how much unplugging can do for your mental health. People wanting to catch a glimpse of an orca often have to set out on the Salish Sea, but a lucky few had an up-close encounter with the giant mammals yesterday without ever leaving the dock. Holy smokes, are you kidding? Wow. Two orcas swimming right next to the dock at the Harbour Air Terminal in Burrard Inlet, right in the heart of Vancouver. Those who saw the animals say they were about as long as one of the plane's floats. About two hours earlier, the pod was spotted near the Lionsgate Bridge, thrilling people in Stanley Park. Humpbacks, grey whales and orcas have been seen in increasing numbers in and around English Bay and Howe Sound in recent years. Wow, what a sight as we bring in meteorologist Yvonne <laughs> Schell for a look at the forecast. And that's what I said when I opened my curtains this morning. <laughs> Such a beautiful, crisp fall day today. Yeah, it was gorgeous out there. We've got more sunshine actually on tap. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone, uh, to round off our long weekend. It is going to be a bright spot. However, this evening, we still have some instability. And what we're tracking right now along the eastern edge of the island, some lightning strike. So we do still have a slight chance or the risk of a thunderstorm for Metro Vancouver and along the south coast. And windy conditions right now, sustained at around 20, but we could see gusts closer to the water up to 60 kilometers per hour. Some breaks overlooking English Bay. Our current temperature sitting at 11 degrees, but there's that breeze, and it'll continue overnight and then start to ease off through the day for tomorrow, so a heads up. Now, this is your Thanksgiving forecast. Overnight tonight, we're down to 5 degrees. Windy conditions tomorrow. We've got some bright spots. Dry conditions underneath the partly cloudy sky. 12 will be the high, but I wanted to draw your attention. Monday overnight into Tuesday, temperatures cold enough will be at 2 that we are looking at the risk of frost, so check out your garden and any of the outdoor activities, outdoor things that you may have outside and your sprinklers as well. Now, a quick update on the snow again. So from Merritt to Kamloops, that's where we still have the snowfall warning up to five centimeters. But all areas and mountain passes in the southern interior will start to see that snow tapering off for this evening and a clearing is on the way. So if you're tra traveling along the mountain passes, still check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Now, the next weather maker is going to be along the northern half of the province. But first off, a nice break across the southern half tomorrow. Those, that will be the sunshine with dry conditions. And then this system that is going to move in along the north coast with some of the heavier rainfall by tomorrow evening. Now the northern half of the province along the coast will see some on and off showers. Much of the central interior Early morning hours, a chance for some showers, even the potential for a few wet flurries. Along the southern half, a clearing is on the way. So if you're traveling along the mountain passes, a drier one with some sunshine in the mix, it'll brighten up across the south coast. Tomorrow being one of the nicest days. Our turkey, this is the peekaboo version <laughs> of our turkey for tomorrow. And then we are looking at unsettled conditions into next week. On and off showers and temperatures up to 11. Nithu, love it all around. Thanks, Yvonne. A farm sanctuary in Langley Township welcomed two new animal additions this Thanksgiving Sunday, and the pair won't be on the dinner table tonight. If you want to see them, these are our two new turkeys.
Happy Herd reached out to several turkey producers hoping one would consider pardoning a turkey for Thanksgiving. No one responded, but the animal sanctuary did hear from a woman who raised two turkeys from eggs and is moving to a residential property soon. She wanted to save the birds and was thrilled to donate them to Happy Herd, where they'll live among a well-fed pig and other friendly farm animals. The sanctuary already had two turkeys, but recently lost one named April when she tried to lay an egg. She left a massive hole in everybody's heart because she talked all the time and greeted everybody. So on the three-week anniversary of April's death, we welcomed uh, Fido and Terry, but we're going to ask... Uh, for new names for Terry because it's kind of a conflict with another animal. It's bittersweet really. Um, I know that they'll be in a really loving uh, environment but my heart's still really sad and I hope I can come by and visit them sometime when we come come in the area. And I'm sure she will. All right Barry's here now for a preview of what is coming up in sports. Barry. Yeah I was going to say for the turkeys hey you made it through Thanksgiving but you know Christmas only two and a half months away. <laughs> coming up. <laughs> yes, uh, Canucks uh, making some news today. They've made a trade, got rid of a player who uh, I think the fan base has uh, certainly lost its patience with. We'll tell you about that coming up. They did send some players down to uh, Abbotsford as well, so that final roster shaping up. And Canada looking for another result on the road in World Cup qualifying in Jamaica. So highlights of all that coming up. All right, thanks so much, Barry. Also ahead, ensuring we can all keep riding the rails in Burnaby. I'm learning new skills like uh, wiring, uh, mechanics. The new members being recruited to help secure the future of a BC club of model engineers. Monday's worldwide social media outage forced many people to unplug. Some were stressed out by suddenly being cut off from Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. But many others felt more relaxed after the forced break. Charmeen Samani has more on this World Mental Health Day. In an age where many people are glued to their phones and social media, an abrupt pause forced users to unplug earlier this week. It was the downtime in between calls where I noticed it the most because my uh, inclination was to just grab my phone and see what was happening. But instead, I got to stop and take a few breaths. On Monday, Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp all stopped working for about six hours. Resilience coach Komal Minhas is a content creator and spends a significant amount of time on social media. She was happy to get the unexpected break. The welcome pause and reprieve from what is an unrelenting barrage of images and videos and sounds and expectations and pressure. Menhas says unplugging from social media can be challenging because apps are often designed to keep users hooked. It's hard as an individual to keep those boundaries in place when you have an entire industry that is working against that so that your time and attention is only given to it. Shimmy Kang, psychiatrist and author of The Tech Solution, agrees. We know that when we look at those MRIs and brain scans, uh, we're seeing the same patterns of addiction with technology, with social media, with gaming as we are with gambling. She says if the social media outage made you very anxious, that might be a red flag. A type of withdrawal, they will experience an irritability and agitation and anxiety, maybe even a panic 
panic uh, that they can't get on. Whether you felt anxious or relieved, Kang says the outage gave everyone a taste of a tech detox. It's a great opportunity for people to evaluate how they experience those six hours uh, and what they can learn from it. She recommends disconnecting from social media for a few hours every day or for an entire day or longer every week. See how you feel. See what happens um, to your internal biology, your sense of wellness, your mood, uh, your sleep. Kang says we should be incorporating technology into our lives and not the other way around. Sharmin Samani, Global News. Coming up in sports, the Canucks make a trade with Florida. Barry will be back with who's on their way to join the Panthers. Plus... The reaction from Rush members as the Ohio State Marching Band puts on an incredible halftime salute. Variety Week returns to Global BC. From October 18th through 22nd, tune into Global's newscast all week and meet the kids who need your help now. Call 310KIDS or donate at variety.bc.ca and your donation will be matched. Don't miss the Vancouver Fall Home Show coming October 14th through 17th. Get real home advice from trusted local experts. See the latest trends on everything from kitchen and bath, flooring and more. Tickets at VancouverFallHomeShow.com. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. The Ohio State University Marching Band is legendary, having a reputation of performing while also carrying out some remarkable choreography on the field. Well, on Saturday, they did it again, this time paying tribute to Canadian rock band Rush during the Buckeyes football team's game against Maryland. The band delivered its rendition of Tom Sawyer's Limelight and more while they spelled out 2112 and YYZ as they performed Rush's iconic progressive rock tunes. They even created a three-piece stick figure band complete with Rush's late drummer Neil Peart's drumhead. The 15-minute halftime performance earned a seal of approval from Rush themselves who tweeted simply, we're speechless can see why it's pretty incredible. I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland, is it not? It's Ohio, <laughs> no so Ohio State. So Run for their money, Makes exactly. Sense. Absolutely. All right, we've been promising details on this trade, the Canucks. Here they come. Thanks, Neetu. Uh, yes, Jim Benning has hit uh, some home runs with first-round draft picks. Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes. But it was a big swing and miss with Ole Ulevi with the fifth overall pick in 2016. Hindsight, of course, is 2020, but they did pass on the likes of Matthew Kachuk and Charlie McAvoy. It really has been a bust from the very start. And today, well, they kind of gave up. Ulevi was traded to the Florida Panthers. In return, Canucks get defenseman Noah Juleson, who is from Abbotsford, and forward Yuho Lamico, both likely heading to the farm club in Abbotsford. Yulevi never got any traction in Vancouver, whether it was injuries or just not developing towards an NHL caliber. He played just 23 games in Vancouver with two goals and an assist. 
Meanwhile, the Canucks put four players on waivers today, including defenseman Travis Hamanick, who is yet to appear at training camp while, his, uh, while he deals with personal issues at home in Manitoba. It's pretty unlikely he would get claimed considering his situation, but it does also clear some salary cap space, not the entire $3 million of his contract, but it still saves the Canucks slightly over a million. Also sent down, pending waivers, forwards Justin Bailey and Philip DiGiuseppe and defenseman Madison Bowie. Jim Benning will speak to the media tomorrow to get some clarification on what some of these moves mean going forward. World Cup qualifying from Jamaica, another huge game for Canada coming off that fantastic performance in Mexico when they uh, drew 1-1 Thursday. They go from the hostile crowd to no fans allowed in Kingston, Jamaica. Second half, early free kick for Alfonso Davies, but uh, just wide of the mark. Moments later, a Jamaica free kick into the box, off a Canadian head and off the post. A close call for Max Cripo, but it stays nil-nil. Then Davies on the run. This is Canada's best chance to Liam Miller, who's got a wide open net, but he's stopped by the Jamaican keeper. Miller playing it too safe, a glorious chance. It ends nil-nil. It wasn't pretty, but Canada four draws and a win in their first five qualifiers. They'll host Panama in Toronto on Wednesday. Panama beat the U.S. 1-0 today, so Canada now fourth in the standings with nine games to go. The Whitecaps got thrashed 4-1 last night in Seattle against the first-place Sounders, but you can bet Whitecaps interim head coach Vanny Sartini is still smiling today. That's just the way he is. He's quickly become a must-see TV at any Whitecaps game with his enthusiastic sideline antics. Vanny doesn't sit still often, but Squire Barnes sat down with him earlier this week to get the inside story on all of that positive energy. Press every ball, yep. you, you and Brian, press every ball. Yep. And when we have the ball, attack the space, attack the space, okay? When you watch Vanny Sartini coach the Vancouver Whitecaps, his personality is on full display, and this is not an act. Christian, 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 go to receive the ball, go to receive the ball, don't stay here. I really like what I do, and uh, I'm not, uh, I would say, ashamed to, to show that I like, and I, and I have a good time. I think I broke my hip. My wife says to me, hey, you should be a little bit more calm, but I can't, I can't, I can't help myself, so it's okay. <laughs> Vanni Sartini was born and raised in Italy. I'm from the most beautiful city in the world, Florence. And he played before he coached. I was a goalkeeper, not very good, to be honest. I, 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 didn't, I didn't play professionally. I played in the lower leagues in Italy. And he discovered that teaching the game gave him more joy than playing it. I had many coaches uh, in my career, but not a lot who had that enthusiasm for the game and that love for the game. And you, you feel it in everything uh, he does every day. And, and like I said, it's, it's a joy. It's off, hey, hey, bravo, very good. His enthusiasm is, um, like I said, just such a, an easy thing to follow. Follow is what Vanni Sartini had to do with his friend Mark DeSantos when he was fired. It wasn't easy. But Sartini immediately brought in the players to help him. Told the player at the beginning that the most experienced, hey, I need your help. Because, uh, you know, the only way for, uh, for, uh, for the group to see me as a leader is that you guys, uh, because you guys are the real leader on, on the locker room. I think his ability to utilize a lot of different players means guys have that buy-in. Uh, they feel a part of things. Ryan, press every ball, okay? Come! 
Press every ball at top with toss, okay? Good. And Good. even though he's considered the interim coach, it doesn't oh. mean he's not in the running for the job full-time. He was in the mix at the moment he got the job because uh, I would not give the keys to somebody that I don't trust. I want to be clear that I'm, I'm honored and that the club uh, asked me to step up and be, help the club in a mo moment of difficulty. That, you, know, you know what I like, eh? If they, if they ask me to stay, I will be, I will be happy to stay. NFL today from Pittsburgh. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool back in the lineup after missing last week with a hamstring injury. And Claypool showing everyone that he is back to full health. Takes the short pass and then turns on the Jets. Gets to the outside. A little stiff arm there. It's a 59-yard gain for Claypool. That would lead to a Steelers touchdown. And then in the third quarter, Claypool gets into the end zone for the first time this season. Ben Roethlisberger delivers the strike over the middle. Claypool so good in heavy traffic. Hauls it in and the Steelers win 27-19. Chase five catches, 130 yards and the touchdown. Steelers get the win and they are now 2-3. and three. Also unbeaten Arizona hosting San Francisco in a key NFC West matchup. Kyler Murray didn't have a spectacular day but he did just enough. Finds DeAndre Hopkins for a nine-yard touchdown and Arizona remains the only undefeated team in the NFL now 5-0 after beating the 49ers 17-10. Tennis from Indian Wells, Montreal's Felix Auger-Aliassime seeing his first action in the round of 64 against Spain's Albert Ramos-Vanolas. Felix seated seventh, down a break in the first. Nice two-fisted backhand winner down the line, but he lost that opening set 6-4, and it didn't get much better. Felix crashing and burning in Palm Springs today. Goes down without much of a fight, 6-4, 6-2 to the Spaniard Ramos Vinolas. Later tonight, Leila Annie Fernandez is back in action. We'll have highlights of that tonight at 11. And this just finished. Boston beat Tampa Bay 6-4 in 13. There was no Canadian TV of this game. We'll try to get highlights at 11. Victoria's Nick Pavetta was heroic in relief. Four innings pitched, no runs, struck out seven as the Red Sox now take a 2-1 series lead. Final round of the Shriners Children's Open from Las Vegas. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin had a good week. Drove the green on the 302-yard par 4 15th. This putt for Eagle to get him in a tie for second. Just misses. Hadwin finished at 18-under. Tied for sixth. Nice paycheck in Vegas, 245000 That should last at the tables for a few hours. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor tied 47th. But South Korea's Sung Jae Im ran away with it. Long birdie putt here at the ninth. Im had nine birdies in his first 13 holes, shot 62 today, and cruises to a four-shot win over Matthew Wolf. Turkish Grand Prix, Valtteri Bottas starting on the pole. Lewis Hamilton battling Red Bull's Sergio Perez, it seemed for like an entire lap. Perez running fourth at the time. Hamilton giving him all he can handle. Perez, though, withstands the challenge, which is saying something when it comes to fending off Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton finished fifth, which now means he is second in the point standings because Max Verstappen finished second in the race and now leads Hamilton by six points. Bottas leads from start to finish his first win of the season. Montreal's Lance Stroll finished in ninth. And Neetu, that is it for sports. Back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with a look at a Burnaby model train attraction and the effort to ensure it can maintain its momentum. This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider.
All right, tomorrow is the final day of the season for the public to ride the rails at the Burnaby Central Railway. The attraction is run by the British Columbian Society of Model Engineers, a club rich with tradition. But in recent years, they've been forced to work hard to recruit new members in order to keep its future on track. It is one of the oldest, most successful miniature railway clubs in the world. Its origins date back to 1929. And volunteers have now been running trains for the public since the mid-70s. Lawyers, architects, teachers, engineers, all drawn by the social aspect of the club and to satisfy their mechanical itch by building and fixing trains. We have three generations of our family here at the park. Myself, our son, and our grandchildren now. But they've been on a recruiting mission in recent years, trying to attract new members. It hasn't been easy, but they do have some fresh faces learning from the veterans. I was at a uh, train expo a while back at PE, and then um, Joe came by. I was like, oh, we want some uh, young blood and uh, young members to help uh, bring down the average age. There's a lot of history for them to absorb. The club needed more room to stretch its track, so in the early 90s it moved to its current location at Confederation Park in Burnaby. Construction coincided with the digging of the Cassiar Tunnel a short distance away, and all that earth was put to good use. We got all the fill from there, built it up, and they did a really good job of doing a very big track layout to fit into the little space that we have here. Now they're working to keep the history alive, mentoring the new club members. Got a lot of people with a lot of skills, Fixing our steam engines, we repair them on site for the most part, and we need to pass that on to generations that skill because it's going to be lost otherwise. Yep, right in there. And they're picking it up quickly, training for what it takes to keep these engines rolling. And do it on the flat surfaces down here. I'm learning new skills like uh, wiring, uh, mechanics, uh, metal work, woodwork. The future still looks good for a club approaching its centennial anniversary. There's a big age gap out here, but the new recruits are very enthusiastic and eager to learn from the senior members. They just have to put up with all the dad jokes. What's the worst one you've heard? Um, I cannot think. I've heard so many bad ones here. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. I'm here for all of it, including the dad jokes. Yes. Right. <laughs> Why very... don't trains uh, have gum? Because they can't chew-chew. Ah, <laughs> see, they I knew you'd have one. I was working one. on it. I, I, I didn't know that deliver. was coming, but as a dad joker, you got to oh, be able to go on the spot. Every yeah. time. That was fantastic. <laughs> All right, we have just enough time on that note to get a final check on the weather, and it is good news. Yes, windy this evening, but we've got some bright spots. It'll be dry for Thanksgiving. You can walk off that turkey. That's the dancing turkey. Uh, temperatures will be up to 12, and then a bit unsettled. Chilly start, a heads up for back to work and school on Tuesday. Why well, walk it off when you can dance it off? Absolutely. Perfect. All right, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11. Incredible sight.